Man, what an incredible honor it is to be with each and every one of you. And if it's your first time in Hope City, thank you for coming out. My name is Jeremy, and along with my sweet wife, Jennifer, right there, we get the honor of being able to pastor here. And we love you guys. And it's not just us at West Houston campus. We also have our Cypress campus, our Katy campus, our Cornerstone campus, thousands of people watching online. Come on, let's welcome all of them in. We're glad you guys are with us. Fired up to be here. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're the best looking person here. I literally just watched a lady like, she's like, nope, and nope. So life-giving, ma'am. Um, <laughs> we're glad each and every one of you guys are here. And I want to make you aware of something that we're starting next weekend. Um, uh, a couple years ago, I started having real bad vocal problems, kind of like what I've been having the last few uh, months. I don't know if you've been able to hear it, but it is, and there it was, um, it is <laughs> on cue. Um, it's, I've been having a little bit of a challenge. I had it last uh, two years ago, and, uh, and my doctor told me, he said, listen, you have to go on mandatory six weeks of voice rest. And I was like, two reasons why I can't do that. Um, number one, because I'm a pastor, and uh, I preach for a living. And number two, I have kids, and I scream at them a lot. And um, so... <laughs> Anyway, I did, I did uh, voice rest, and we decided to take advantage of it, and we did something that we call Summer Revival, and Summer Revival turned into something that we do every June, and it is awesome. We bring in some of the greatest Bible communicators that you have ever heard, and, uh, and they are amazing, and the power of God moves across our campuses um, through these incredible pastors. In fact, I, I t I'll tell you this. I made, a, I made a promise to our church in year one. If I ever put anybody on this stage, they're not only going to be able to... Be, be very anointed, be prayed up, be doctrinally accurate. They're going to be a great communicator. And I think we've exemplified that um, just like last weekend. Did you guys enjoy Pastor Josh Turner? Wasn't he great? Or Pastor Daniel Groves. I don't know which one it was, but anyway. Um, next weekend, we have uh, one of the greatest communicators that you will ever hear. He preaches all over the world. He's from Baltimore, Maryland. He's this phenomenal guy. In fact, I think he says, come on, somebody, more than I say, come on, somebody. And he's great. He's a great preacher. Pastor Jimmy Rollins will be with us next weekend. So shout him down when he's preaching and tell him you're preaching good. He's a good man. Amazing story um, in his life of how God has radically changed his life. And here's what I think it does for our church. One, I think it exposes you to great preaching and great teaching of the gospel. The second thing I think it does is I think it lets our church know that, hey, this thing is not built on just one guy. In fact, last year, whenever we had our summer revival, that was the first time outside of Easter that we were over 10,000 and it happened and I wasn't even here. And I think it was God going, hey, man, remember, it ain't about you. I think it was awesome. And so get, get excited about next weekend. It's going to be great. And uh, so um, this is my last weekend for a few weekends. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it strong, straight, strong and not too long. Come on, somebody. So we're going to have a good time. We've been, we've been in a series where we've been talking about how to find and follow the will of God in your life. How many of you want to do what God wants you to do? Every camp, just lift your hand. I want, to do what, I want to do what God wants me to do. So I want to show you how much he wants you to do what he wants you to do. Psalm 139, I love whenever I read the word of God, sometimes something that I've never seen jumps out at me. And this happened um, this week. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Two reasons why I love this. One, because it kind of rhymes. Makes God kind of sound like an MC. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one came to be. If this preaching thing don't work out. Hope for the city and the city of hope. I drop psalms like bombs, sleep grace like dope. Go, calm down. Calm, guys, come on. Oh, yes, I did. If I didn't have more to preach, I'd drop this right now. But I, I got 
The second reason I love it is because it says all the days. Everybody say days. So God is not just interested in your whole life. He's interested in every day. In fact, he's so interested in you. He's written a story for every day, which means I don't have to just get in on what God wants to do in my life. I can get in on what God wants to do in my day. And we've been talking about finding the will of God. We talked about the moral will of God, which is the things that are written in the Bible, the clear things that you're not supposed to do or the things that you're supposed to do. And then we've talked about the sovereign will of God and how there are things on the, on the earth that God is going to do because he's God. And then we've talked about getting in the personal will of God. And I'm going to help you this weekend find the personal will of God for each of you. Now, what I'm going to give you today is, is, is not a secret, but I think it will, it will blow your life up if, you, if you'll employ this. Now, what I'm going to tell you is, is a calling that God has placed on all of you. He's, he's placed this exact calling on all of you. And, that, and that's this. God has called you to be a leader. Seven amens. Awesome. That's great. Thank you guys for the encouragement today. Excited about preaching to you. God has called you to be a leader. Now, here's why you didn't give a rousing amen. Here's why. Because some of you are like, duh, we kind of already know that. I'm a leader. I'll lead anything you will let me lead because I'm a leader. Others of you are like, no, God has not called me to be a leader. I don't lead anything. I'm not a CFO, a CMO, a COO, a CEO, a C anything. I I just like if somebody's like, hey, you want to lead? I'm like, no. All right. How many of you know God has called you to be a leader? Like you're a leader. Like, okay, you're a leader. How many of you know you're you're just not a leader? That's okay. Like seven of you. You know why? Because you're like, I'm not even raising my hand. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. What if it's weird? What if you call me out? I'm just not doing it. But the truth of the matter is those of you who are like, I'm a leader. And those of you who are like, not a leader. Both of us have a wrong definition of leadership. Here's what I want to give you. The greatest definition that I can give you of leadership. In fact, I had an incredible example of leadership happen a few years ago. It was kind of, it was a sad moment, but it was also a joyful moment. My grandmother had passed away. God rest her soul. She went home to be with Jesus. And we had this funeral, a three hour funeral. She was a pastor's wife. There were pastors of a thousand people there. It was like a church service, man. It was awesome. And we had this Southern gospel group and they got up and they sang this song called, I bowed on my knees and cried holy. Anybody ever heard that song? Google it. It's an awesome song. It's a Southern gospel song. And there's this one really hot part that the high tenor hits. And it's awesome. It's talking about going to heaven. He says, I went to heaven and I saw Mark and I saw Timothy. But I said, I want to see Jesus because he's the one who died for me. I bowed on my knees and cried holy. Except for when he got to that one super high part, I bowed on my knees and cried holy. I don't know if he had laryngitis. I don't know if something happened. But he was like, I bowed on my knees and ah! like it was it was bad. Like so bad, everybody's like, that's not how it's But my granny was like, what, what, that one, that's wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, granny. Um, she knows me and she still loves me. Um, it was bad. And at that moment, like all the cousins, all of us cousins were on the second row. And at that moment, I had my phone sitting right here on my knee and my phone vibrated and I looked down and my idiot cousin had texted me. Um, he bowed on his knees and blew out a vocal cord. Now, have you, have you ever been in a moment where you know you're not supposed to laugh and then somebody says something funny? And even if it's, it's, it might not be funny normally, but when you're not supposed to laugh, it's even more funny. And I, I like bust. I was like, mm. and then I realized this moron had group text all of us. So all of the cousins are shaking like the whole row. Sh- like it was so bad. The lady behind me thought I was breaking down with grief. She started rubbing my back and like handing me Kleenexes. I was like, I need more. I need more. Oh. <laughs> what an idiot. And that's the greatest definition of leadership right there. 
And here's why. Because leadership at its base is influence. Leadership is influence. So if you don't think you're a leader, you're wrong because you are an influencer. You are influenced and you are an influencer. There are people who do things because of your influence and you do things because of people's influence. That's base level leadership. So how do I know if I'm influencing right or not? How do I know if I'm leading the way God has called me to lead or not? Great question. Super glad you asked. Let's go to the scripture. Matthew chapter 7 verse 16 gives us a leadership litmus test. Here's what it says. You can identify them, the leaders, by their fruit. That is by the way they act. So if I don't see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, that's not the fruit of the spirit. And if I don't like the fruit, then I need to check the root because there's rarely a problem with the fruit. It's the root that has a problem and I'm connected to the wrong thing. Therefore, I'm producing the wrong thing. So if you're not producing love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, you're connected to the wrong thing. You ought to memorize the, the, the fruit of the spirit so you'll know it when you see it in your life. And if you don't see it, you got to get connected. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, hey, I'm way more concerned with what's coming out of your life than what's coming out of your mouth. Because a lot of us talk a good game, but we don't walk a good game. And it's important for us to trust God with everything in our lives, even the things that we do throughout the day around other people, even, even with allowing other people to speak into our lives. So how do I lead? How am I supposed to influence? If you look at a kingdom definition of leadership, in the kingdom of God, leadership equals serving. It equals serving others. In fact, I would go so far as to tell you this. If you've said, hey, listen, I feel like I've discovered my purpose. I feel like I've, I've found what I'm supposed to do. And what you found that you're supposed to do doesn't involve serving other people. It is not God's purpose for your life. Because God's purpose for your life will always, without exception, involve serving somebody other than yourself. This is critical for us to get. It's actually part of Jesus' mission statement. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is ultimately why they crucified Jesus. Because he just didn't understand what he was doing. So he had to reiterate it time and time and time again. And he does so in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he reiterated this simple point time and time again. I didn't come to build an earthly kingdom. I didn't come to make everybody rich. I didn't come. I came. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I want to show you what happens. He's giving his mission statement for the son of man has come to seek and to say, he's telling them I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And listen to verse 11. They still don't get it. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. They were like, awesome. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Super cool. Love that, Jesus. When are we building the castle? Like, ready to get rich and rule people. We are ready for that. It was so bad that James and John, two of the disciples, send their mom. They send their mom to go talk to Jesus. And she's like, Jesus, I just want to talk to you about my boys. They're amazing. James and John, powerhouses. They're incredible. In fact, whenever you enter to your kingdom, you should provide a place on the left hand and on the right hand for my boys because they are awesome. 
And Jesus looks at him. He's like, do you guys even know what you're asking? And then he says this, can you drink of the cup that I drink from? And they're like, yeah, Lord, whatever you drink, we like it. Dr. Pepper, Coke, we're good. You can even drink out of the gold goblet and we'll use the silver ones. We're cool with that. And Jesus says, no, it's a cup of suffering. It's a cup of serving. It's a cup of sorrow. So if you want to be great, you better prepare yourself to carry a cross. This is so critical for our church to get because I've watched the church as a whole drift from serving. And I want to help you understand it. So I'm going to give you four secrets of serving. The first one is simple. Serving isn't convenient. In fact, it squarely goes against your nature. It goes again. Now, I know that you think you understand serving, but I'm going to give you a Jesus definition of serving. Okay. How many of you played sports when you were young? You played sports when you were young. You played sports. Okay. Then you probably heard this, or if you're in business, or if you've ever been in a motivational meeting, then you've probably heard this. Okay, guys, this week we got to go the extra mile. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? Come on, let's just go the extra mile. Do you know who coined that phrase? Jesus did. I'll give you the etymology of that phrase, go the extra mile. Now, in order to understand what we're getting ready to read, you have to understand the context of the times. The Jewish people were under Roman rule. And in Roman law, it was Roman law. If a Roman soldier passed a Jewish servant, slave, anybody who was in the Jewish community, he could drop whatever he was carrying and demand that they carry it for one mile. It was the law they had to. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus comes in on the back end of this law, and he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now, all right, cool, 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 Jesus. Uh, so, so what you're saying is you want us to carry it like with, like, like with excitement for two miles? Yeah, freak them out. Can you imagine? I mean, here's what he's saying. Like for one mile, you carry it. And then at the end of the mile, the soldier knows you're at the end of the mile. And then he looks at you and he's like, okay, you're done. And you're like, no, bro, let's go another mile. <laughs> and Jesus is like, hey, you, you want to freak them out. You want to shift to the way they think about you. All of a sudden, you've done what you're commanded to do. And you're doing above and beyond what you're commanded to do. Now, let me flip serving on its ear. Because you understand serving in fact, most of our church is pretty awesome at it. You want to serve the least of these. And in fact, we're told to serve the least of these. When you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And that's awesome. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about the least of these. All of us understand serving people who deserve it. Like, man, such a good person. I just want to help them. They've been through so much. We just want to help them. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, serve the takers. Serve the jerks. Serve the people who have done zero to deserve it. Serve the people who are morons in your life and the ones who drive you crazy. Find a way to serve them. You want to show true kingdom love? Find the people who will spit in your face and serve them. I don't think I can do that. Jesus did. They spit in his face. They beat him. They ultimately crucified him on the cross and he declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Loved them in death. You ever held the door for somebody? Like you didn't even know him as a stranger. You're like, hey, let me get that door. <laughs> and finally on the last guy, nobody said anything. He just kind of let it go on his leg. You know, it's gonna, oh, I'm sorry about that. You're welcome. <laughs> you 
You ever held the door to somebody and they don't say, they don't say thank you? Jesus is saying, you don't do it for the thank you. You do it for me. So you serve people who don't say thank you. You serve people who you know will not say thank you. Well, I don't know. I kind of have a problem with this. I do too. It's not convenient. And it's definitely not your nature. We live to serve ourselves. And Jesus is saying, when you are filled with my spirit, you have the ability to serve people who don't deserve it. He's trying to establish kingdom culture in the first century church because he knows how far we will drift even to this day. The church is super good at serving people who deserve it, but not serving people who don't deserve it. In fact, he gathers his disciples together because they're having a really hard time with this. And he says, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus calls them together and said, hey, you guys know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority. And it's the same way today. If you have authority, sometimes you'll kind of lord it over people. You're going to act like you're the, the head honcho. And Jesus says four of the most important words in the scriptures. He says, not so with you. Here's what he's saying. The principle here is you see the way the world does it. Not so with you. The world even knows how to serve people who deserve it. They want you to. There's millions of organizations that you can be involved with that are good organizations that serve people who deserve it. But what are we as the church supposed to do? Serve people who deserve it and serve people who don't. So the answer is, was it them or them? And the answer is yes. He goes on to say, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Notice, he doesn't decry or denounce ambition. He says, listen, if you have ambition, be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus, that's a really strong term. Don't you think he knows it? He's helping us understand we are kingdom called first. And if somebody doesn't do anything good to me, that doesn't change the way I should treat them and that I should act towards them. Just as a son of man, he says it again, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is how the world knows that we are believers we serve people who don't deserve it. We act with kindness when people act with, with pain and anger and frustration. You know why I'm preaching this? Here's why I'm preaching this. Because I've watched the church change. We act like the world. We dress like the world. We talk like the world. We live like the world. We act like the world. We go where the world goes. We do what the world does. But we slap a Christian label on ourselves and act like we're different. Oh. Preaching. You are preaching good. Thank you for the golf clap. Guys, how are they going to know we're the church? By the way, whatever campus you're in, this is not the church. The one that we're in right now is a gym. Come here on Tuesday, people playing basketball. You are the church. The building doesn't reflect Jesus. You do. And you are supposed to carry the influence of our God everywhere you go. So let's go and change the world by changing every environment that we're in. The second thing, serving has a dramatic impact on the lives 
of others. Serving has a dramatic, think about it, how dramatically serving impacts you. I remember um, one of the most memorable moments of when serving impacted me. I was in high school and uh, my high school sport was, I, I, ro- I was rodeo. I rode bulls and saddle bronc horses in high school. And, um, and so I, I was a cowboy and still am a cowboy and raised in a cowboy family. And, and so uh, a friend of mine had an uncle who lived in Nashville and his name was Curly, and which is an awesome cowboy name. And Curly uh, customized buses, these big touring buses um, for artists for, in Nashville. And, and he lived on a mountain right next to Garth Brooks. And so my buddy told me, he's like, hey man, Garth and, and my uncle Curly are friends and Garth is throwing Curly a 50th birthday party. Do you want to go with me? I was like, let me pray about it. Yes. The Lord said, yes. He said, I'm supposed to be a, a witness to Garth. And um, so... <laughs> So we went and that morning on top of the mountain, like I kind of, I was just helping out and we were kind of clearing some spaces and moving some stuff around, bringing chairs in. And I remember when Garth drove over in his big burgundy Chevy, he got out, he had it loaded with hay. He was like, hey partner, can you come help me with some hay? And I was like, yes I can. And I walked over and he's like, I'm Garth. And I was like, thought you were George Strait. (laughs) And he laughed at my stupid joke. And we unloaded hay together. He was like, you gotta be here tonight. And I was like, yeah. Problem was, I was there all day, and there was a DJ who was supposed to play the music for that night. He was there all day, too. The DJ had a problem. He had a little pocket flask. And like every three seconds, he was like, and and right before the party, he looks at me and goes, hey, man, you know anything about country music? I was like, what? He's like, country music. Like, yeah. You know, because I don't think I can do this tonight. He was like, you, you mind uh, DJing? And DJing back in those days, uh, it was kind of defined by two CD players, and you play one, and then you eject it, and you play the other one, and then you eject it, and you play And I was like, sure. And then he disappeared. Boom, he was gone. And I got stuck the entire night sitting behind this DJ booth playing the music. And people are, like, requesting songs. I'm like, I'm not even a DJ, you know? And like 45 minutes, an hour into the night, somebody sets a plate of barbecue in front of me. And I look up and it's Garth. He's like, hey, man, saw you over here. You looked hungry, brought you a plate of barbecue. I was like, thanks. I'll be your friend in low places. And he said, can I get you something to drink? I was like, I'd like a Dr. Pepper. He's like, I'll get you one. He got me one and he opened it. I still have that can. I'm kidding. I don't. That's stalker status. And we hung out and we talked and we talked for like an hour. I actually have a picture of it. Show my picture of me and Garth. There's me and Garth right there. That's the, that's the young skinny cowboy Jeremy. <laughs> Could eat dinner off a bell buckle. It's ridiculous. It's like a plate or a hubcap. All right, take it out. Anyway, what was amazing about that whole moment and what I thought about years later, and here I am all these years later still impacted by the fact that it wasn't the fact that somebody brought me barbecue. It was the fact that who brought me barbecue. This is a guy who could have had anybody do it. He could have not done it at all and it would have been no big deal. I would have never even thought about it. Here's what I love about what he did. He didn't just have good intentions. He went and acted on them. Many of us have really good intentions. We have a great church. I love you guys. All of our campuses, people watching online. We have people around the world who've never even been to our church who consider themselves members of our church because they watch every weekend. They have watch parties. Here's what I love about our church is if I sat down with the vast majority of you and I said, do you want to serve your fellow man? You would say, yes. But the challenge with a lot of us is we don't prioritize it. 
So at some point, you got to climb down off of your high horse and get out of your big schedule. And you got to go serve somebody who may or may not deserve it and say, listen, I know that I'm busy doing other things, but I'm here for you. Good intentions won't get us anywhere. They're just good intentions. Jesus was great at exemplifying servanthood. In fact, he's sitting around the, the table with his disciples one time and they're sitting there and, and he gets up and he goes over and he grabs this water basin and he wraps a towel around his waist, puts another towel on his arm and he sits down and he starts washing their feet, which is super weird. Feet. Huh. And, and by the way, the, the, the vast majority of the mode of transportation in those days was feet. So when you walked into somebody's house, the lowest servanthood job in the house was the guy who washed feet. And Jesus gets up and he rolls over and he starts washing the disciples' feet. And Simon Peter looks at him and says, no, Lord, thou shan't wash my feet. I know that you're washing these other guys' feet and they should have stopped you, but I won't allow you to wash my feet. And the Lord says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of my kingdom. And Simon Peter's like, okay, go ahead, wash my head and my hands too, God. Why would Jesus do that? Here's why he would do it. Because he knew that if he stooped to the lowest level in the room, that they would do it as well. And we are called to serve. What do you do when you're the most powerful man in the room? You wash feet. You serve. You submit yourself to the service of the king. The third thing that you'll find in serving is this. There's a blessing that comes with serving that you may or may not be able to see. Serving unlocks a door for you that I can't really even describe. I remember I, I used to uh, uh, I used to speak corporately and I started traveling a lot. And I still travel a lot. But I remember back in the day when I first achieved elite status with the airlines. They sent me like an email. And they sent me like a letter and a little card. And it says, you are now elite. And I was like, finally. It was awesome. I didn't really know what came with it. But I was like, yes, I'm finally elite. I'm special. I remember sitting in the terminal one time, sitting at the gate when I got my very first first class upgrade. They called me. They're like, passenger Jeremy Foster, please come to the desk. And it's like, oh, I'm in trouble. I went up there and like, you've been upgraded to first class. I said, I've been upgraded to first class. They gave me a ticket. I was like, look at that. It's a first class. What are you? Economy. <laughs> I'm first class. They let me on the plane first. Hence, first class. Got on the plane first. I sat down in my big comfy seat. I turned sideways. I laid down. There's so much room. Yeah, just cushiony. They stopped the flow of traffic of other people getting onto the plane. They said, can you wait just a minute? And they walked over and said, Mr. Foster, can we get you something to drink? And I was like, yes, you can. How much is a Coke? She said, free. I said, I'll have four. <laughs> Bring me a case. I was awesome. I was excited. And then just a few minutes before they closed the door, an elderly man came on with an obvious physical handicap. He came on and he had a younger guy helping him. And, and as they got closer, I could hear him talking. And the younger guy was saying, Dad, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. And he said his dad, his dad sat in first class right across the aisle from me. He sat right there. And his dad said, well, where, where are you going to be? He said, I'm, I'm back there in economy. I'll be back there. But if you need me, the flight attendant will be able to get me. And the dad said, I'm just nervous, son. I, I just don't want to fly without you. I just, I, it's going to be okay. And I'm over there going, Really? Really, God, is this a test? Seriously? You got to set these guys right next to me. Couldn't they sit up there a little bit where I could at least pretend I didn't hear them? They're right there. Like, finally, I was like, okay, you can have my seat. I didn't say it like that, but that's how I, that's how I felt. 
So I leaned over. I was like, <laughs> I said, hey, man, why don't you take this seat and I'll take whatever seat you have. And he looked at me and said, you would do that? And I was like, yeah, man, yeah. I was like, what seat are you in? He's like, I'm in, uh, I'm in row 9,782 seat Z. <laughs> I walked all the way to the back of the plane. Uh, there's the bathrooms right there. And then there's uh, my row. And I noticed that it's supposed to be three seats, but there's two of the hugest like linebacker dudes that I have ever seen. And then I realized in between them is a seat. You can't see it because their arms are together, but there's a seat in there. And I was like, hey, guys, I'm in here. And the guy was like, climb on in. So he didn't even get up. I was like, <laughs> man, it's like, like curtains closed. I reached my hand through, got a magazine, read the world's smallest magazine. I literally felt like a gnome. You know, I'm sitting there. Just like, okay, God, I give it all to you. Lord, do this for your glory. And then I hear a flight attendant. She says, Mr. Foster, Mr. Foster. I'm like, in here. She's like, sir, some of us saw what you did, and, and we want you to know um, that we'd like for you to come with us. We have found another first-class seat, and we're going to upgrade you to another seat, so please come with us if you can get out of there. <laughs> I climbed out. I was like, glory. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I want you to know. The first first-class upgrade was awesome. But the second one was amazing because not only was I able to bless another guy, God was able to bless me. And whenever you upgrade somebody else, you open up God's upgrades and that changes everything. You just got to give what you got to him. And if you don't, you'll, you can still find success, but you won't find significance unless you're serving someone else. I used to do a lot of corporate traveling, corporate speaking, um, keynote speeches, and then corporate training for businesses. And I remember um, this one particular business hired me to come and speak at a very small group. It was literally a boardroom group um, of high-powered executives. I got to go in. It was amazing. And they flew me to Vegas. And while I was there, they put me in the most awesome hotel room. And I got a video of it. And I want you to see my video. I was much younger. Take a look at this. We had a pretty amazing opportunity to speak here to a small uh, group here, corporate event here at the Bellagio Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the room they put me in is unbelievable. Craziest, coolest room I've ever been in in my life. And I got to share it with a few of my friends. Check this out. Here we go. This is, uh, this is when you enter. There's a little, uh, little wet bar there to the right. And then uh, here's the panoramic view of the room. A little living area and then another living area. Yeah, it's crazy. And then this huge, uh, this huge room that we'll be meeting in tonight. Uh, panoramic views of the city all the way around. Huge flat screens everywhere. That's my stuff for the meeting tonight. It's going to be pretty cool. And then um, there's closets everywhere. And then, yeah, here's another bathroom. Here's the bathroom right here. Check that out. Ceramic tile. And then this is the entry uh, to my living quarters. It's so cool. <laughs> living quarters. Um, this is the living quarters. So here's my sitting area here. And then um, here's the bed. And the bed The bed also has a big flat screen TV at it. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot one of the coolest things. So whenever you open the blinds, check this out. It's push button. So <laughs> check this out. Oh, and there's Vegas. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> That's amazing. I'm blown away. I don't even know what to do. I don't deserve this. It's unbelievable. And um, 
Here's this is my bathroom. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Check it out. Oh yeah, there's a TV. TV right here. You're gonna watch a little saint action after the meeting tonight. And this is uh, it's got a desk and then a really deep tub. And then yeah, yeah, I'm showing you the toilet. I'm showing you the toilet. Here's why. Because the toilet has a twin and it's called a bidet. Can you use that baby later? Don't really know what it's for, but it's cool. So I'm having a blast and uh, just wanted to take you guys to Vegas with me. I'm just freaking out. <laughs> and now I'm a senior pastor, so. It was awesome. I called my wife. I was like, why aren't you here? She said, we have kids. It was awesome and also frustrating. And here's why. Because I had no one to share it with. You've heard that saying, it's lonely at the top. And that's exactly right if you do it wrong. But if you do it the way that God has called you to, as you climb the ladder of whatever success you have, you take as many people with you as possible. When I get a blessing, a blessing comes to me to go through me so that I can be a clearinghouse for blessings. I desire to be a river and not a pond. God, come through me. Bless somebody through me. Use what you've given me to bless somebody else. Because if you're not careful... You climb the ladder of success only to realize it's not really successful at all if you're not serving someone else. You can have everything you've ever dreamed of. And can I tell you something? Technology will make something new that you don't have yet. And it'll make you want it. And so you'll never find happiness until you actually reach a hand out to someone else instead of constantly closing your hands on yourself. God has called you to reach somebody other than you. That's why at our church, we provide you with opportunities at every campus to discover your purpose. We only do four things at our church. We know God, we find freedom, we discover our purpose so that God can use you to make a difference. That's what he's called you to. And you will only find significance when you're making a difference in the life of someone else. We have what we call growth track. It happens at every campus. You can go through growth track and in growth track, you can discover your purpose. And as you discover your purpose and you begin to serve someone other than yourself, listen, we have thousands of people on our dream team. And if you talk to them, they would tell you, that's our volunteers that we call it the dream team because they are accomplishing God's dream. And when I accomplish God's dream, he brings my dreams to pass and they're seeing great things. You talk to them and they would tell you, when I started serving on the dream team, it changed my life. Why? Because I'm able to be a part of something that's bigger than me. The fourth and final thing is simply this, serving positions you for your destiny it positions you for your destiny i want you to think about this david when he killed goliath he wasn't even supposed to be in the fight david went to the battle lines to bring his brother's sandwiches literally like he shows up he's like hey guys brought your permitted cheese sandwich oh look a giant and god brings him onto the world stage and changes the world that he would become the only legitimate royal bloodline through which the Christ child was birthed because he wasn't afraid to serve somebody who made fun of him. His brothers made fun of him. They said, why are you even here? Yet he still served them. And we find later he's a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he's not afraid to serve even people who can't stand him. Serving is more than just serving people who deserve it. It's serving everyone so that God can show who he is through you. Because that's what he did with you. He loved you when you didn't deserve it. He died for you when you didn't deserve it. Serving positions you for your destiny. In the book of 2 Kings, there's a man by the name of Naaman. And Naaman is one of those Old Testament rock stars. Listen, 
Listen to what the biblical description of Naaman is. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman, he's the commander of the Syrian army. He's highly respected and esteemed by the king of Syria. And here's why. Because through Naaman, everybody say through Naaman. So I want you to know that God uses Naaman. And through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to the Syrian forces. He was a great soldier, but he suffered from a dreaded skin disease. So Naaman, is a, he's a soldier anointed by God for battle. That's awesome. I really wish God had anointed me for battle. It would change every conversation I'm in. I'd be like, oh, you're a doctor? Awesome. Oh, you're an attorney? Amazing. Oh, you're an engineer? So good. I'm anointed for battle. It would change my accent. A fate for freedom. He wasn't Scottish, but I would speak with that accent. People would say, what are you doing? Battle. That's what I do. But he has a tragic flaw. Actually, he has two. One that we see. He has leprosy. It's a skin disease that causes him to be a social outcast. So people love him. He's a powerhouse man, but he has a very visible problem and he needs help. And he hears about Elisha, the prophet, who has power with God. And God blesses Elisha and things happen when Elisha prays. So the king of Syria sends Naaman to go get prayed for by Elisha. And this is where we see the second problem that Naaman has that we don't see right off. And that is pride. If you want to know if you have pride, when you get a request to serve, it always exposes pride. Well, I'm too busy or I'm doing this. I'd love to, but is there a way that I can just, you know, get somebody else to do that? No, God wants you to do that. God's calling you. And it's exposed when he comes up to Elisha's house. He comes with gold. He comes with silver. He comes with horses and camels. He comes with all kinds of changes of clothes. He comes with all kinds of gifts to give to Elisha. Fully expecting that Elisha is going to send out a stretch hummer to pick him up and take him to the front door and meet with him for like six hours and buy a miracle. And Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. <laughs> Elisha sends his servant out. And the servant comes out. He's like, hey, man. What you need? He's like, I need to be healed. He's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Go dip in the Jordan River seven times. The Jordan River, yeah, the muddy Jordan. Go dip in the muddy Jordan, the dirty river. Go dip in the dirty river. And then when you come up on the seventh time, you'll be healed. Peace out. Like, where's the prophet? He's busy. It's like going to the doctor and the receptionist coming over and be like, hey, like the doctor can't see you, but I'll look at your ear. Let me look at your ear. And like pulls a pin out, like sticks it in your ear. It's like, yeah, you need some drops. No. No, I, I want to see that. I brought money to see the doctor and the doctor won't see me. And Naaman flies into a rage, puffs out his chest. He's furious. Like, I can't believe that he's disrespected me like this. Asked me to do something as lowly as dipping my body in the muddy Jordan. And he has a servant who says, sir, perhaps a word. He says, if he would have asked you to do anything hard, you would have done whatever he asked. But he simply asked you. To break your pride, to humble yourself, to dip in the muddy Jordan. And finally, Naaman decides, okay, I'll obey the simple thing that is so beneath my ability and skill set, such a waste of my time. Wonder what it is that you think is beneath you that God is calling you to. I wave to some of our parking team today, successful people in business do great things throughout the week and help you park your car 
on the weekend and you get mad at him. I want to go this way. And some of y'all are like, no, I'm going this way. And they're like, okay, God bless you. <laughs> okay. Servant, not on staff, just servant. Wonder what you think is beneath your ability. Aren't you grateful that right now at all of our campuses, there are tons of people in kids ministry taking care of your kids, changing their diapers, teaching them about Jesus, telling them about the love of God, praying over them. You have an opportunity. What's your Jordan River? What's God calling you to dip in? To go all in. Get a little dirty. So the guy can change your life. And I want you to notice what happens. When he comes up on the seventh time, the Bible says that his skin is as pure as a young boy. But that word boy is actually the wrong translation. If you study it in the Hebrew, that word boy actually in the Hebrew means servant. So he didn't just cleanse his skin, he cleansed his heart. And nothing will purify your heart and change your life like realizing I am not called to serve myself. I am called to serve someone else. So God has called you to walk through the process of serving someone. And listen, it is a process that you'll have to go through and there might be some pain involved and it might be some things you don't want to do, but God has called you and I promise on the other side of it, you're going to see some amazing things. I remember the first time that I took a missions trip to Haiti and it was awesome and you have to get like 30 shots, a lot of shots. And I remember going to the nurse and she was like the sweetest little old grandma. She was just so precious. She was like, oh, what do you do for a living? I was like, I'm a pastor. She's like, oh, sweetie, that's a great calling. God has called you to do great things. She was like, I was retired, but I decided that I had to get back into doing something. If I sit on my behind, I was going to gain weight and grow old and die. And she was just awesome. And then she hit me with that shot. And it literally felt like she like pulled a, a mule over and was like, here, kick him in the arm. And I was like, ah, ah. She was like, oh, call out to the Lord, baby. Because the only way you're going to go over to that country is if you take what I'm going to give you right now. She literally went from a sweet auntie to Medea in like 0.8 seconds. She was, she was preaching to me. She was like, if you want to go do the Lord's work, you got to go through this right now. Because if you don't go through this right now, What's there might kill you. It's the serving that prepares you to handle the success that God is calling you to. Because if you gain success without serving, that success will destroy you. But if you'll start serving now, God can trust you with more because he realizes that you know it ain't about me. It's all about him. And I'll give God the glory and never keep the credit for myself. Come on, somebody. Let's go do what God has called us to do. Let's go. So what is your Jordan? What do you need to go all in on and let Jesus change your life? Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each and every person under the sound of my voice. Those that are here in the room, those at all of our other campuses, those watching online, God, I pray that you would strengthen their hearts right now. Remind them that you did not save them just to take them to heaven. You saved them to shake the earth. Help us to remember that every day. And you desire to use today. So help me to find a way to serve somebody other than me every day. And now let me tell you, there are, there are many of you in here who the Jordan that you need to dip in 
is a relationship with Jesus. Somehow you've gotten busy, you drifted, and he's not prioritized in your life. Here's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But it's going to take you acknowledging that you need Jesus. You've got to acknowledge it. The Bible very clearly says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. But it's got to be more than just something in your mouth. It's got to be something in your heart, something that changes you. And I want to give you that opportunity today. Nobody looking around for just a moment. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, if you know that you need to prioritize Jesus at the center of your life, we just lift your hand and say, I'm going to acknowledge him right now. And he'll acknowledge me. And he's doing that right now all over the room. Thank you. Hands all over the room, all over every campus. I want us to pray this prayer out loud. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You died on a cross and you rose again so that I could be set free. So right now I'm giving you my whole life. I'm withholding nothing. I repent of all of my sins. And I'm asking you in this moment to be the Lord of my life and change me from the inside out. I give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give him an ovation of worship.